You're listening to Two Girls, One Crossword. Good evening, everyone. Good evening. This is Two Girls. No. Well, yes. Just, sorry, this is The Good Evening Girls. I'm Grace. <laughs> and I'm Chelsea. And you're listening to Two Girls, One Crossword. It's true. That's what you're listening to. Everyone's favorite <laughs> favorite <laughs> weekly crossword. No, crosscast podword. You know what? We were gone for a week. We were. F it. For the holidays. Yeah, we were. I'm. It's kind of weird. I'm coming back. It feels like we haven't been recorded for 20 years. I know. Hopefully we're not too rusty. You let one week go and the habit evaporates. I think our intro went pretty, was pretty tight. <laughs> it, was, it was really tight considering. Considering um, everything. Yeah, so I hope everybody had a, even if you don't celebrate the holiday, which I wouldn't blame me if you didn't. I didn't. I Marie Kondo'd my apartment. There she is. Yes, she did do that. Well, yeah, it's truly beautiful. Um, come on over if you want to check it out. <laughs> I live at. <laughs> what else are you doing? Did you put your contact paper up? Not yet. Well, they don't have to know everything. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. I like to keep my personal life private. She and... says that she's <laughs> yeah. come on over. Uh, no just... outside shoes on inside. Do not wear your shoes in my house, I swear to God. And don't you dare <laughs> sit on my bed with your freaking clothes that you wore on the train and the bus and out in the city. In the world. I hate that. Disgusting. Comment in the reviews of our podcast if you hate when people lounge around and especially if you live in a city so you're on like public transportation and your street clothes and you come home and you like roll around on all your furniture also another thing this is related you come home you don't want to be on your in your street clothes on your furniture makes sense put on your house clothes yeah, not pajamas house clothes house clothes loungewear sweatpants but not like your snowflake PJ pants. Yeah. That sounds oddly specific. <laughs> Which, okay. So I didn't have my lounge clothes were not clean. And I like opened my drawer to get like something to wear. And literally all that was there was my snowflake <laughs> PJ pants. And I was like, I can't take Neptune outside in those if he has to ring like to go to the bathroom. Neptune being my demon child dog. Anyway, but these are things that I think about. Because I think about you and Matt wears his pants Inside, outside, upside, downside. If you're wearing jeans to watch TV, like, I just, I can't be Red yeah. alert, red alert. If you're one of those people that do that, how dare you? <laughs> and who do you think you are? Um, we love you all. <laughs> anyway, all your, all your little quirks. But you should invest in some loungewear. You should. It's a good investment. Take care of yourself out there, okay? Yeah. Especially get into... this, this winter, winter season. <laughs> yeah. Do we uh, have any corrections corners? I don't. It's been no, too long. I can't long remember what our last episode was about. Yeah, true. Um, Aliens? No, Chupacabra. Ah, what was mine? I don't even know. Uh, I don't know. Uh, Let us know if you yeah. remember. <laughs> I'm sure we could just Google it. Cool. So, hits and shits? I have some. I have mostly hits. Nice. Cool. Actually. I didn't really... So, Grace and I probably didn't do that many crosswords in the last... We I mean, didn't do any. I didn't do any over like Thursday through Sunday. I did a couple. I didn't do any together. That's for sure. Um, but we had we have some from. No, we did some. I have some from the week of Thanksgiving. That Monday, Tuesday. True. <clears throat> yeah. Anyways, um, I wasn't hyper vigilant like I usually am. So yeah. I'm pretty lax this week. Well, um, I have a couple. I'll just go through them really quick. Yeah. One is from um, Themeless Three by Ryan McCarty. That's a queer crossword. Yeah. From and Pack Two. This is. Uh, okay, one of his clues, this is like a suggestion for any crossword constructors out there. One of his clues was 46 across, catfish catcher, and it was N-E blank. And I, like, for sure thought it was Neve, N-E-V. Neve is, he was the main character in a documentary called Catfish the Documentary that was, like, I think it was at Sundance Film Festival. Like, an, It was, like, an indie doc that came out years ago, and it was, like, super successful. And if you don't know, a catfish is what they call someone who, like, pretends to be someone else on the Internet. And usually it's, like, in a dating type of scenario. Sometimes they try and, like, get money from you. So he was catfished, as they call it, by this woman pretending to be, like, a younger girl. Um, not a girl, like a younger woman, woman. who was Neve's age. Anyways, the documentary is really popular, so then MTV picked it up, so they made a TV show where he is the host and he helps people, like, figure out if their, like, online boyfriend or girlfriend, significant others, um, are who they say they are. Anyways, Neve should have definitely been the answer, and I think it would be a funny answer for anyone who wants we, to use it in the future, but right. the answer was really net. Which is it's, it's funny because, like, 
N E three letter answer to catfishing, like yeah, whatever. Catfish catcher, yeah. And maybe that was the the trick. Who knows? Maybe. Um, and then way, I guess it could have had a, if it had a question mark. Yeah. But okay, so the November twenty sixth Tuesday New York Times shout out to uh, Olivia. Olivia Mitra Framke because she had 19 down anxiety about exclusion per a modern acronym and it was FOMO (laughs) which is just fun to see in uh, the New York Times if you don't know FOMO means fear of missing out it does but you everybody has FOMO about recording our podcast probably Um, not to be confused with YOLO which is you only live once it's true Um, and then unless you believe in reincarnation in which case you only live as many times as you want or however many times it happens. It doesn't have the same ring to it <laughs> as YOLO. Um, this was another clue that I really liked from the American Values Club crossword by Byron Walden, edited by Ben Tausig, our friend. Um, he's not really our friend, but... We like to say that yeah. you are all our friends. So, sorry. You're our friends, unfortunately, now. So, this was a, so Yelp is like an answer that I've seen a couple times in the crossword, but I liked the way they clued it. Um, I thought it was funny. It was 49 down, where Neil A. gave the moon two stars and commented, nice views, but too dusty and no atmosphere. Won't go back. <laughs> that is really creative. I didn't do that puzzle, but... Yeah, you weren't here. Yeah. And then a quick shout out. If you hate yourself, you can do the... I think we have an M&M bag covering the title of this crossword oh, in the oh, picture. Oh, yeah, yeah. I think it's called, like, the Daisy Chain. No, no, no. Um, I forget what it's called, but it's... Or, um, or a garden variety is what it's called. Right. So this is actually a type of puzzle. It's called a rose garden puzzle, which I looked it up, because this is also on my... Oh, it's, it's a, Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It's a really... I, I don't even know how, how to you? describe it, but um, it's kind of like... It's a regular crossword puzzle, and then, it, like, clues go left to right, but then there's, like, little flowers, I guess, in the... Cl- the clue and um then it's like words that are spelled out in a circle and they could either be read clockwise or counterclockwise and you don't know which clue is going to which circle it's very confusing but it is kind of fun we had a lot of fun it was one of those things we'd never done um a rose garden puzzle before ever and we printed it out and it kind of was sitting on the counter and a bunch of people walk by and they're like they they're used to seeing us surrounded by crosswords and they saw that one they're like what is that and we're like we don't know we're yeah. reading the directions we barely know ourselves. we're trying to figure it out so yes we did our very first rose garden puzzle this one was by Francis Heaney yes and um <clears throat> they the clues are kind of fun they're not as trivia either i think they're more like play play on words well some trivia but um yeah. this one clue I liked. Improves like a blurry image that someone on a cop show would like to magically see in crisp detail. And it's enhance. You know, on cop shows, are always like enhance, enhance, yeah. on like CTV footage. And somehow they get like the <laughs> clearest yeah. zoom in. Yeah. They're, they're fun for sure. <clears throat> um, I think this puzzle was easier for us to do the first time around than like a cryptic. Oh, yeah. For sure. Oh, Don't count us out yet. But I actually would love to really do more garden uh, varieties. Yeah. And um, I think, so, oh, yeah. Do-do-do-do-do. It was actually invented by Patrick Berry, who is one of the c- constructors we see a lot in oh. all the puzzles. So that's fun. I want to invent a puzzle. Yeah. He has a, I went on his website, and he has a, a lot of stuff, a lot of different word puzzles that he's invented. So good on you. I just want to say, y'all are amazing, and I'm just very astounded by your abilities. Yeah. To be so smart. And puzzling. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> What else? What else do you got for me, Grace? That's it. All right. Well, I got one last one. Just a shout out to Erica Gard for getting the um, the editorial position at the USA Today Crossroads. Oh, yeah. That news came out yesterday for us, but by the time you guys hear this episode, it'll be old news. But we want to say Yay, Eric. Um, I do want to ha- take a, a single moment to say that I did do my very first crossword in the USA Today Crossword. Um, I forget why I became interested in doing crosswords. Maybe it was like a a college newspaper had them and I kind of was like interested. What I did was I searched on my iPhone for like a crossword app and like a ton come up, obviously, but I wanted something a little more um, challenging than just like crossword, the app on your iPhone. Um, And so... (laughs) The guy who created that app is probably listening to our (laughs) And He's like, I put a lot of time into that. So the two apps that I was choosing between were the New York Times and the USA Today. And New York Times, you could get like a week free doing their puzzles on the app. Or the USA Today at the time was like 
2011, 2012, something like that, was doing for six bucks, you had like a lifetime subscription and had access to all of their archives. And I was like, <laughs> yes. But I mean, like at the time, six bucks for me was like six bucks. It's this crossword app for this for the rest of my life or a meal for one day. Um, so I did it. But I do want to say that there was a point when the iOS updated on the iPhone and the app never updated. And so you can't use the app anymore. Hopefully Eric will change that. I haven't checked <laughs> since like for the last year and a year and a half, maybe two years. Um, but I used to check semi-regularly because I really wanted to do crosswords and I didn't want to spend the money for a New York Times subscription because I wasn't really into crosswords the way I am now. Um, so maybe it is updated, but at the time. And I even sent in a help ticket. It is, honestly, yeah. So, Well, congrats to Eric. Congrats to Eric. <laughs> <laughs> now let's bring it back to Chelsea. Let's, yes, and my name is Chelsea, and I was born in... And Chelsea has done the USA <laughs> Today crossword before. So. I have. So She's also famous and deserves our praise. <laughs> wow. Should we flip? We should flip. God. Oh, no. um, <coughs> what is it? Coin flip? Yeah, we're rusty out here. <clears throat> we're flipping. Heads, that's you. Oh, my God. Okay. So. Oh, my God. <laughs> is that how it goes? What? There's a vine. I don't know. Never mind. I always think of, oh, my goodness. Oh, my <laughs> damn. Oh, my goodness. I have no idea what you're talking no, about. That's the, um, there is a, sorry, just like a little on the side, there is a viral video. There's a man who eats Five Guys for the first time. Oh, okay. And no, then, I know that one. And then they <laughs> yeah. remix it to a song. <laughs> that is what I'm he saying. He just like, okay, why don't I have that job? Obviously, I think that market is saturated of people, but he just like reviews fast, like eats fast food and reviews it. Perfect. He's really funny. Yeah, he's yeah, really good. The Five Guys one is good. Yeah. Okay, so let's get into it. So my topic comes from the Wednesday, November 27th, New York Times, Matt Sewell and Jeff Chen puzzle, 30 across, syrup of blank. Did you guys do this puzzle, New York Times on Wednesday, before we yeah. were out? Yeah. But I don't remember. Syrup, syrup of Ipecac. Oh, is that the kind that makes you puke? Yeah. Ew. Hey. Okay, so... I had no goddamn clue what syrup of Ipecac was at all. Oh, really? No. I have hadn't. you? S- there's a YouTube. Speaking of YouTube videos. Oh, no. Because I think it tastes like root beer. Like, it doesn't taste that weird. They, yeah. like, dare people to drink, like, a tiny bit of it. And if they don't throw up in, like, X amount of minutes, then they get money. And everyone throws up. <laughs> oh, no. No. Okay. Well, I guess I'm going to say about that, but later on. So for those of y'all like me who didn't know what syrup of Ipecac was, I'm sure almost everybody probably knows what it was. Um, It's commonly referred to sometimes as just Ipecac, but it's a drug slash root that's like made into like a syrup um, that was once widely used as an expectorant and also an emetic. So an expectorant drug are like a drug class that um, aids in the clearance of mucus from your, you know, your upper airways. So like Mucinex, for instance. And an emetic drug is a substance that induces vomiting when administered orally or by injection. Um, and you use an emetic when you when somebody ingests a substance that needs to be expelled from the body immediately. And so then that's when you would use something like Ipecac, where you would ingest it and then it would expel whatever it was that you ingested from your body. <clears throat> yeah. So, um, and it's obtained from the dried rhizome and roots of the Carapicia ipecacuana. Oh, yeah. Root. <laughs> right. <laughs> I knew that. Which is a species of flowering plant native to Costa Rica, Nicaragua, Panama, Colombia, and Brazil. Nice. Cool. So it's not native to Europe, but one of the first recorded shipments of ipecacuana to Europe was in 1672. There was a traveler. <laughs> Legalized ipecacuana. <laughs> She hit it. That's good. (laughs) Wow, I liked that. (laughs) Nice, nice. Um, Okay, so the guy that brought it over, his name was Legros. He imported it to Paris. And then in 1680, she's on. She can't stop laughing about Ipecacuana. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) Uh, Okay. Well, at least someone's happy here today. I'm delirious. She's delirious. Although, you got some good sleep last night with your melatonin. I, I did. Anyway, melatonin is legal in the United States of America for all you squares out there. It's perfectly fine for me to take it, okay? You addict. 
Okay, so Legros brings Ipecacuana to Paris, and in 1980s, a Paris merchant named Garnier informed the physician Jean-Claude Adrian Helveticus, or Helvetius, about this drug, okay, and about how this drug, this root, was really good at treating dysentery. And dysentery, for y'all squares out there, is <laughs> like— you never played Oregon Trail. <laughs> is like a really severe version of um, diarrhea, to like oversimplify it, but like your bowels are inflamed, you've got bloody diarrhea. It's a trip. So instead of going out the bottom half, it comes out the top half, and then you're Gucci? <laughs> I actually have no idea why they would think that. Well, it's probably caused by a stomach, something that you eat. Right. Maybe. Yeah. I mean, like some sort of virus, bacteria in your. I don't. I I've never actually, had dysentery. So no, it's been a while. So. <laughs> no. So Helvetius prepared a secret preparation um, from Ipecacuana to treat dysentery, um, and. Louis XIV of France was, like, really interested in this, especially because his son, the Dauphin, was seriously ill with an incurable, like, strand of dysentery. And none of the court physicians could cure it. And so Louis was like, yo, Helvetius, like, get over here. Like, let me try that out. Uh, and legend has it that Helvetius's secret preparation promptly cured the Dauphin. So then Louis XIV paid Helvetius a large sum of money for the recipe. Um, and it turned out that the formula contained, like, a bunch of random crap and the only active ingredients being Ipecac. So there you go. That's that. I cannot confirm or deny if this actually happened. I just read about it online. So <laughs> That's everything on this podcast, basically. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we hope that it, in, it gives you some sense of curiosity so you can go out there and do your own research. Yeah, no, I smirked. <laughs> I wish you could see my face sometimes. Okay, so this is interesting. I'm going to loop this back to something else that we talked about, penal colonies. Oh. Which is a topic from one of our past podcasts that Grace did. About Australia. Yes. So apparently in, in the 19th century, women prisoners at the Cascades Female Factory in Tasmania were routinely given, like, small doses of Ipecacuana as a precaution um, against, quote, Ladies with gross health and fiery temperaments. What I don't know what that means. And I couldn't actually get access to the book where that is from, like the research book. Um, it wasn't available on Google Books, unfortunately. And I couldn't get to the library le late last night. So, <laughs> um, so for y'all who weren't with us during the penal colony episode, um, Cascade's Female Factory is a penal, like, is a, like a work factory Mm -hmm. on a penal colony in Tasmania um, and as like a workhouse where the convicts would be sent between 1828 and 1856. Um, and collectively, Australian convict sites represent an exceptional example of the forced migration of convicts um, across the globe, which is insane. So yeah. if you're interested in any of that. Listen to our, I can't remember the episode title. Yeah. I feel like it's penal in the name. It was something suggestive, <laughs> yeah. right? I'll um, see if I can find it. Yeah. Going. Well, we talk a little bit about, like, the crazy punishments that they these convicts or these prisoners. Oh, yeah. Um, no, well, no one was holding them accountable for anything. No. And so to think that they, they were giving these uh, lady prisoners Ipecacuana for whatever reason, fiery temperaments, whatever the heck that means, is just pure torture. No man is an island, right? That's the name. Episode 19. Definitely check it out. <clears throat> okay. So, like I said... The syrup of Ipecac was once used as an expectorant and as an emetic. Um, so the rapidly induced forceful vomiting was considered for many years to be an important, like, treatment for orally ingested poisons. And in 1965, the FDA approved the sale of up to one ounce of syrup of Ipecac without prescription, so basically over-the-counter. Um, and at the time of its approval, it was recommended by AAP, AAPCC, and AMA and the FDA's Medical Advisory Board as a method to induce vomiting for, quote, quick first aid use in the home under medical supervision for cases of accidental poisoning. I feel like people don't get accidentally poisoned as much anymore these days. I would hope. I mean... Well, things are much more, like, locked up now. They are. They got, they got better caps on them. It's not like you just keep your poison in an open container yeah. under the sink where little baby John can... I have get trouble it. sometimes getting, getting into those caps. <laughs> I know. I'm like, oh, I can't even open this damn cleaning bottle, so I guess I'm not going to clean my floors today, you know? You have to use vinegar. That's, that's, 
that's the truth. Because then, then it's fine. Yeah. Then no chemicals. Your dog can lick it up. Right. Gucci. So, however, there have been studies since 1965, thankfully, especially one in 2005 that revealed um, that the stomach purging uh, produced by Ipecac was far less effective at lowering total body poison concentrations than, like, an absorption technique. Activated charcoal. Exactly. Activated charcoal is one of the things that you can ingest that will absorb um, chemicals or anything within your entire GI tract um, instead of just doing, like, a complete bowel, like, what they say, irrigation. Ooh. Yeah. So usually what they do is they'll give you something like activated charcoal and then another treatment which will also irrigate your bowel as well but the most important part is that activated charcoal first and mm-hmm. then the, like the evacuation part so also just to say a potential side effect of ipecac um there's things like lethargy these side effects can confuse with the can be confused with the poison side effects complicating diagnosis so we're going to talk a little bit about like the misuse of ipecac in like a minute but that's to say like Ipecac is one of these drugs where you can take, like you said, it tastes like soda or like root beer or something like mm-hmm. that. Um, and the side effects that it gives you makes it difficult to actually treat what's actually happening. Or it's Ipecac is um, kind of like flies under the radar. And so you don't know that people are actually taking it. Yeah. So we'll see. Um, so nobody really uses Ipecac anymore. It has since been replaced with more effective medications. Um, and the American Society of Health System Pharmacists now advises that, quote, Ipecac syrup is no longer recommended for routine management of outpatient ingestions of medications or other chemicals. So if you've got Ipecac hidden in your counter, your cabinet, get rid of it. Take one last swig and then toss it out. <laughs> <laughs> Bye-bye. It's your last rodeo. Yeah. So misuses of the root. Ipecac has been used by individuals with bulimia nervosa as a means to achieve weight loss through vomiting. Um, And so repeated uses of this root in this manner can cause damage to the heart and muscles, which can lead to the user's death. Um, It has been said, but it's also been refuted, it has been said that the death of singer Karen Carpenter was partially as a result of Ipecac. So two years after she died, the coroner was telling his colleagues that Carpenter's heart failure was caused by repeated use of Ipecac syrup. Um, People disputed this, and people close to Karen Carpenter said that they had never seen her take the syrup um, or had seen evidence of her vomiting. Um, And Carpenter's friends were convinced that she had abused laxatives and thyroid medication, definitely, and not necessarily the Ipecac syrup. But that's to say that if Karen Carpenter didn't use it, there are other people who are suffering with... um, eating disorders that potentially do use Ipecac or other sorts of emetics. Um, And it's also been used as an agent for Munchensen syndrome by proxy. (gasps) Do you want to tell them what Munchensen syndrome is? Sure. Um, It's when it's usually by like a parent or caregiver. Um, By proxy is when you like make someone else sick so that it's usually people who like to take care of people and like the attention for taking care of someone or the attention for having a like sick child. It's a mental disorder. Yes. As made popularized by the recent Hulu series, The Act. Yes. Starring Joey King and Patricia Arquette, um, based on a true story about a mom who convinced her daughter that she was in a wheelchair and very sick and had leukemia and all this stuff. And then at the end, the daughter, it's not, this is like not a spoiler or anything. The daughter ended up meeting some guy online and he came over and they murdered the mom. Yeah. And the daughter was totally fine, had no health problems. Yeah. But she lived like 24 years, think, like in a wheelchair. Yeah. Feet crazy. tube, shaved head. Yeah. Crazy, crazy, crazy. And so I was like looking this up, obviously, and like parents would use Ipecac to like induce vomiting and illness within children um, because it was so hard to trace or like, yeah. you know, it's very scary. So. Ooh. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so now that we talked about that, mm-hmm. I want to talk about other poison treatments throughout history, like things people used to use oh. to treat poison. Um, so poisoning for you out there who have no idea is a condition or a process in which an organism becomes chemically harmed severely um, by a toxic substance or venom of an animal. So you can like become poisoned by someone like dropping something in your drink or like a snake out in the wild. Mm. Don't go out in the wild. You won't get snaked. You get poisoned. <laughs> so, in the past, 
like when people didn't understand like how poisoning happened or how to cure it, they came up with all kinds of crazy remedies, one of which was a unicorn's horn. But where did they even get one of those? Right. So obviously unicorns don't exist. And at Not one... obviously. Okay, sorry. It's generally accepted that they don't <laughs> Thank they don't you. Um, so, but there's a point where people believed that they did exist or had existed at some point and that the horns were existing out in the world and you could find them. Um, and s- people used these, quote, unicorn horns to remedy all sorts of illnesses, one of which was poisoning. Um, so the first mention of therapeutic properties of the, the horn was by a Greek physician in the 5th century. I think his name was Cetius. Excuse me for pronouncing that incorrectly, as I certainly did. Um, and he believed that the unicorn was a type of Indian wild ass and or donkey for, for those immatures out there. Um, and so it had a horn growing from its forehead. And if you drank cups made from this horn, it would neutralize poison. Um, and it would also like protect you against different types of convulsions like epilepsy. Cool. Um, and in the Middle Ages, unicorn horns were used to cure plagues, fevers, bites from serpents and dogs. Crazy. Um, and people also thought that you could cure wounds merely by holding a unicorn horn towards okay, the wound. Okay, but what were they actually thinking were unicorn horns? There is a type of animal that I can't remember what it was called that people think maybe that's what it was. Oh, okay. Um, I have to it could say, also be like, like narwhals, things like... Yeah. Or even like elephants, like people just bringing stuff back to... Yeah, where they are. Yeah, I think. Well, after I feel like unicorns of all the mythical creatures seem like the most, like they could exist. I mean, we have narwhals. You've seen them. Horns. Yeah, horses exist. Obviously, I've seen them before with my own eyes. Yeah. So, you know. Um, Okay. Mary, Queen of Scott, um, who gave birth to her son was James the sixth of Scotland she actually had a piece of unicorn's horn that she got from France and she used it to test her food against poison <laughs> well did it work uh, I guess uh, she never died of poison but she did die because she was I think she ended up like losing her mind or something unicorn horn can't help you with that no 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 it's just, just life's natural poison. process yes so another uh, treatment for poison is the bezoar stone um, which is like a mass that kind of grows inside of your gastrointestinal system. Mm. Um, and then once that's taken out, you could use that to cure poison. And it was actually believed as the universal antidote against any type of poison for a long time. Um, and it tradition held that drinking a glass which contained a bazaar would neutralize any poison poured into it. Um, bazaar stones could be hung on chains around necks so they could easily be dunked into suspected drinks. God, people were really worried about being poisoned. <laughs> they really, really were. Um, and then for any Harry Potter fans out there, spoiler spoiler alert ahead, in the sixth book, Ron accidentally gets poisoned and Harry uses a bazaar stone to save him. <gasps> yes. Um, and so there is an Andalusian physician named Ibn Zor in 1161, um, and he was thought to have made the earliest description of bazaar stone as like a medicinal item. Um, and extensive references of bazaars exist in the Picatrix. Do you know what the Picatrix is? No. Okay. It's a 400-page book of magic and astrology originally written in Arabic under the title Gayat al-Hakim, um, which translates roughly to the aim of the sage or the goal of the wise. And it's one of those, um, like, old ancient magic books that people oh. yeah, talk about. It's I'm cool. interested in that. Yes. Um, so modern examinations of the properties of the bazaar have shown that they are not, a, like, a one-stop shop for all poisons. But it is, like, you can actually, like, reverse the effects of arsenic-laced solutions, which is interesting. So arsenic is something that is affected by bazaar stones. It's the properties of the bazaar stone, when put inside of arsenic, kind of like um, neutralizes the effects of it, which is really interesting. I need to get one of those necklaces. Right. <laughs> um, there's also these things called poison cups. So um, you could drink from a poison cup or chalice, which was said to detect if the poison was present, but it could also be... Um, used in the treatment of suspected poisoning. So you either had a chalice that you drank from to, like, protect yourself from poisoning, or once you were poisoned, you were drinking from this magical chalice to reverse the poisoning. I want to get one of these chalices and just bring it around with me everywhere. You can actually see um, pictures of poison cups. They're, Mm -hmm. like, beautiful and ornamentally, like, decorated. It's really nice. Um, They say that the reason this worked 
potentially, or why people thought it worked, was the cups were made of antimony metal, which added like a slightly acidicness to the drink um, because the cup would dissolve a tiny amount of the antimony, which was a powerful emetic. And so like you're drinking and you would throw up because you think that, like you're being poisoned. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. So that's what I got for you for Ipecac. Nice. And poison. Yeah, you know. I didn't realize that, like, people don't really use it anymore. Yeah, no. As I've, of 2005. Well, I've, I never got the chance to use it. Thank God. Okay, so my topic comes from the American Values Club crossword on November 27 called Smear Campaign by Byron Walden, edited by Ben Tausig. And the clue is 59 across. Vex illologist's interest. Do you know what a vexillologist is? I do not. I thought it was going to be something like witchy because of vex. Hex. It's not. It's people who like flags. Oh. (laughs) We actually worked with someone who really likes flags. Simon. He actually sent me like this long TED talk about flags. And he was like, you have to watch. This This is really cool. And I did. And it was really interesting. But he really likes flags. Let me tell you, people freaking love flags. Vexillology is hard to say, but... um, no, there are a lot of vexillologists in the world, and I'm not going to talk about, like, fl- obviously flags. There's a lot of different, like, symbolism when it comes into, like, shapes, designs, colors, and flags, but there's not, like, a set, like, symbolism key for the entire world. Every country has, like, their own stuff. So I'm not going to go into, like, actual flag design. Yeah, just because also that's so hard to do, like, without showing pictures. Instead, right. I'm going to focus more on, like, people who are obsessed with flags and why they are. Cool. So, um, vexillology is the study of the history, symbolism, and usage of flags, or by extension, any interest in flags in general. I kind of have a general interest in flags. I don't really. A little bit more after, like, looking into this, but I've never, my, I feel like my, like, biggest interaction with flags was playing the Carmen Sandiego computer game, because there's parts where, like, they show flags and you have to like figure out what country she went to and we used to have like a book of flags and that was my job was to like look through is your dad a vexillologist no it was like in my grandpa's house i don't know what the book was it was some type of i don't know it was before the internet people couldn't look (laughs) stuff up so you had to have books with information in them at your house (laughs) can't relate um it was a long time ago it was a distant distant memory Okay, so the term was coined by a man named Whitney Smith, and he is truly the founder of vexillology. Um, He died, he passed away a couple years ago. Um, William Grime did an article about him for the New York Times after he died, and that is where I got most of this information about him from. So this guy was literally obsessed with flags. (laughs) Literally. Uh, And it started at a young age when he first learned about flags in kindergarten. He, like... Could not. He, like, needed yes. it. Need the flags. Um, he grew up in Massachusetts. His hometown was Lexington, Massachusetts. And they have a day called Patriots Day where um, they display uh, or where they commemorate the opening battle of the American Revolutionary War through parades, reenactments, and ceremonies. And there's a lot of flags involved in this whole thing. So he was, like, around flags a lot growing up. And um he did an interview with the Smithsonian, and he, a quote from him is, When I was eight or so, I'd go down there before Patriot's Day and tell the highway department crew how to set up the flags in the proper order of admission to the union. <laughs> and I'm sure the highway department crew loved that. <laughs> They're like, oh, the damn kid's back again with the damn flags. <laughs> um uh, Grime writes in his article, quote, While other boys were memorizing baseball statistics, he amassed newspaper clippings and articles on flags and wrote to obscure foreign con- consults or consulates asking for precise information on colors, stripes, and symbols. Oh, my God. I love it. Yeah, this is just the beginning, too. Um, and then he did an interview with People magazine, which, first of all, <laughs> who's this guy's agent? Because he's, like, doing <laughs> interviews with all of these. Yeah. Magazines, this but, man needs an agent. Uh, apparently. Well, I mean, in People magazine, he said, quote, some of the kids thought I was weird. But to be 13 years old and literally the only person in the Western world who knew what the flag of Bhutan looked like, well, this was my world. <laughs> <laughs> I, I love that so much. I know. Actually. No, I do love it. He, I love people who are, like, passionate about anything. Yeah. yeah. Like, if you have something that you're so passionate about and you can, like, educate me on, dude, I am, I'll sit on your knee. <laughs> <laughs> he has said that he knows he's, like, was not monolithic, but he knows that he's like really zeroed in on just one topic, but he yeah. doesn't care. That's what he loves. Yeah. Um, so he was 18 when he termed the 
when he coined the term vexillology. Okay. So it it comes from the Latin word for flag, which is vexillum, and then the Greek suffix meaning the study of ology. And people give him shit for combining Latin and Greek. But get over yourself. He was eighteen, so yeah, God. (laughs) And he he realizes now that he's like whatever. Yeah, Yeah. he's like now I wouldn't call it that, but. That's what it's called. Um, so he went to undergrad at Harvard University, studied political science, and he got his doctorate um, in po- political science at Boston University. He taught at BU for a while, but he left academia in 1970 to devote himself full time to flags. Yes, Queen, I love it. Follow your dreams. Okay, so while he was in college, Guyana had just become an independent country. So he wrote a letter to one of their independence leaders and was like, hey, what's your flag situation? <laughs> like, do you guys have a flag? He's just like interested in knowing yeah. what the flag was gonna be. And the guy was like, well, actually don't have a flag yet, but we're open to suggestions. So he like sent them a bunch of ideas of like what they could oh. do. And then it wasn't until like six years later when Guyana finally like displayed their official flag and they had taken like some of his ideas. Yeah. Dude. Yes. And in my quote or in my notes. What is this? Guyana? Guyana. G G U Y A N A. Um, it's somewhere in, in Europe. I'm no. actually now I don't know. I'll look it up. Okay. Keep going. Um, but it made me laugh because I was like, his friends were probably like, Whitney, you crazy bastard, you did it again. <laughs> <laughs> he was like in college when he sent this over to them. And then Oh, it's it's Guyana. Um yeah, it's South America. Oh, okay. Never mind. Yeah. Oh, but I think they had, like, broken off from European control or something. Yes, like, yeah, got, yeah, yes, They had yeah. just gotten independence yes. from European yeah. control. Um, Gu- Guyana. Sorry. Guyana. But, uh, yeah, so he, then they, like, invited him to, like, one of their opening ceremonies, and people were, like, confused. They thought he was going to be, like, <laughs> they didn't realize he was, like, this American, like, young white guy. <laughs> um, but, yeah. Did he go? I think he did go. Oh, that, that warms my heart. Yeah. Whitney! <laughs> Whitney, Whitney. Okay, so he created the bi-monthly flag bulletin with his friend Gerhard Grahl, which is the world's first academic journal devoted to the study of such symbols. He also founded the Flag Research Center, which is a consulting firm on all things flag-related for movies, historians, commercial flag makers, etc. Amazing. He designed flags for the Saudi Navy. He advised the Smithsonian Institution on how to best preserve the Star-Spangled Banner, which is the famous flag from the War of 1812. Mm-hmm. He helped design flags for the islands of Bonaire and Aruba, and it's said that he has a collection of more than 4,000 flags. Wow. Encyclopedia Britannica said he was their most prolific contributor, having written more than 250 flag histories. Dude. Yeah. So they did, like, a bunch of interviews. They have a lot of interviews with him. You can look it up mm-hmm. um, if you're interested. What are we doing? Nothing. <laughs> Nothing to do with flags. Um, he helped found the North American Vexillological Vex Vexillo, ve- Sorry, this is hard to read. Vexillological Association and the Flag Heritage Association. He also organized the first international congress of vexillology in Muterberg, the Netherlands, with Dutch scholar Klaus Sierksma. He wrote 27 books on flags, and in 2013, the Briscoe Center of American History at the University of Texas acquired his enormous collection of flag material, which includes more than 10,000 books, a quarter million documents, and memorabilia. Wow. Yeah. He must really like flags. This guy, he was like in two flags. So he passed away from early onset Alzheimer's when he was like 76, I think. Um, But he lived a full life. He had three kids, a grandkid. He was married twice, but both marriages ended in divorce. Didn't say why. I'm sure it had nothing to do with the flag situation. (laughs) I feel like when someone loves something this much, it's like, you you know you're always going to be second best to the flag. It's like Jim Henson, right? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Second best to Kermit and second best to the flag. You can't. Lady Liberty. You have to know that going into it, I guess. I feel like not saying that this is what was going on in this situation at all. I am not speculating that. But there are people now who are like in relationships with inanimate objects. Yeah. There's a lady who like married a plane. I'm like, you know, do whatever you want. Like if it makes if you're not hurting anyone, it makes you happy. Do what you want. But I agree. I I don't know. No judgment here if you want to marry a flag. Yeah, dude, there probably is. See, that's back in the day, like people didn't realize that other people also felt that way. Now with like the internet yeah. and all these like TV shows about people with like, you know, these quirky interests or, yeah, like people are like, oh wait, this guy is dating inflatable pool toys. Okay, I guess I could date like my yo-yo collection. You know, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the inflatable pool toys is a real. Thing. It is, although I mean. I guess he was technically polyamory then, right? Well, he I think he had like 
Yeah, it, it was. But he had, like, some main ones for sure. And okay. others were just friends. I don't oh. know. You can watch it on YouTube. Seems like a nice guy. Yeah. A lot of, like, inflatable pool animals, though, that's a lot of, takes up a lot of room in your house. It does. Christ, almost as much as, like, a whole family. I know. <laughs> At least flags, you can fold them up. But, like, you have, like, we'll a giant orca just, like, in your kitchen. <laughs> Uh, shit. Okay. So back to Whitney and his flags. Hit me with the Whitney. Um, interestingly enough, he is a big opponent of flag desecration laws. So that means he is against flag desecration laws. So I'm going to talk wow. a little bit about that. So the flag desecration amendment, a.k.a. the flag burning amendment, is a proposed law in the form of a constitutional amendment to the Bill of Rights that would allow U.S. Congress to prohibit and provide punishment for the physical desecration of the flag of the United States. Okay, I always thought that this was a real law. I did too. It's not, though. Okay. They want it to be, but it's not. Cool. So the first Federal Flag Protection Act was passed by Congress in 1968 in response to burnings of the flag at Vietnam War protests. Hmm. Over time, 48 states enacted similar flag protection laws. All of these statutes statutes were overturned by the Supreme Court in the case Texas v. Johnson as being unconstitutional restrictions of public expression. Mm -hmm. Uh, Congress responded to the the Johnson decision by passing a Flag Protection Act only to see the Supreme Court like double down again, reaffirm Johnson by the same majority vote um, in United States for verse Eichmann, declaring that flag burning was constitutionally protected free speech. So there you go. You can burn your flag. Burn people. all that. The most recent legislative attempt to propose a flag desecration amendment failed in the United States Senate by one vote um, in 2006. Shiza. In 29, June 2019, Senator Steve Daines proposed reviving it once again and received the support of the Trump administration. Cool. Uh, so, cool, 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 So Whitney is against flag desecration laws. As he says, it goes against free speech. And no one respects flags as much as this guy, is my personal opinion. Yes. Um, so, like, if he, you know, he r- loves flags so much, but he doesn't think that it should be illegal. I mean, it's where we should be allowed. You can't, like, stop people from... Yes. expressing how they feel. Yes. So um, as long as they're not hurting anyone. Right. So he has even appeared as a defense witness for a Massachusetts teenager who had been arrested after wearing a small American flag on the seat of his jeans and sentenced to six months in prison. So he went and was like, on, like it was one of his defense witnesses. Amazing. Um, he said, he told the Smithsonian, flags express the unity and identity. Oh, this is why he like loves flags so much. Um, he says, flags express the unity and identity of one group as against all others. That can be ugly. Hitler's swastika flag embodied the dark side of vexillologic vexilo- symbolism. But flags can also allow frail humans to feel bolstered by higher powers. So there is a lot of vexillologists in the world. I'm like butchering this. I'm going to say the vexes. The Vex subreddit. There's the Vex subreddit, and it has over 304,000 subscribers, which is a lot for a subreddit. That's a lot. Yeah. Um, And it's extremely active. Like, people are posting on there constantly. Like, I love this shit. I should get that. I should get on that Reddit. People are like designing their own flags, talking about other flag designs. Um, Like, in one of the threads, they're talking about why they loved vexillology, and I. I gathered like this, like basically the gist of why people love it so much. Obviously, can't speak for everyone, but um, one Reddit user uh, said, "I like the idea of a very complex history, ideology, culture being compressed into a little design that says so much." Nice. So that's why flags are important. Yeah. To these people, into the world. Yeah. So I'm going to talk about fun facts about flags. Yes, hit me. <laughs> that I got from KickassFacts.com. Thank you, KickassFacts. <laughs> Okay, the Bikini Atolls flag is similar to the U.S. flag, but with black stars representing islands destroyed by nuclear testing to serve as a reminder of the debt the U.S. still owes them for their nuclear fallout and radiation poisoning. Pay up. Yeah. Oh, by the way, about the U.S. flag, Whitney says he does not like the U.S. flag design. He says it's too busy. He says we should go back to, I think, the, like, remember how there used to be stars in a circle? Yeah. Mm -hmm. He likes that flag better. Um, okay. The Filipino flag is flown with the red stripe up in times of war and the blue stripe up in times of peace. Oh. The nylon American flag planted on the moon during Apollo 11, if you believe that, <laughs> cost, <laughs> cost $5.50. It was knocked over by exhaust from the lunar module's ascent, and it is likely to have disintegrated by, by four decades of heat, UV rays, and radiation. So it's not there anymore. Supposedly. Was it even there to yeah. begin with? 
Um, have you ever noticed that American flags are backwards on airplanes in mm-hmm. military uniforms? Mm-hmm. That is to give the effect of the flag flying in the breeze as the wearer moves forward. Hmm. Uh, the first Olympic flag went missing for 77 years after the 1920 Games until a 1920 Olympian revealed he'd had it in his suitcase the whole time. <laughs> Whoops. During truce talks between North and South Korea, both parties would try to bring a bigger national flag than the other to each <laughs> meeting. This went on until a special meeting was called to address the size of the flags <laughs> as they could no longer fit in the room. <laughs> it's oh, so I petty. Love it. It is I love so it. petty. <laughs> we love pettiness. Um, Liechtenstein, Liechtenstein. Liechtenstein and Haiti developed identical national flags independently of each <gasps> other. No one realized it until the two countries showed up at the 1936 Summer Olympics with the same flag. <laughs> Shit. Embarrassing. Whoopsie. It's like wearing the same outfit. Oh, my God. Except we love when we wear the same <laughs> <Yeah>. outfit. <laughs> Which we do often. And people look at us and they're like, did you guys plan this? And we're like, no. But no. our souls are intermingled. So deal with that. Deal with it. Um, Hawaii's state flag. Do you know what Hawaii's state flag look like? Looks like? No, I can only. And now that you asked me that, all I can see is the New Jersey state flag, which is horrendous. Um, okay, it has the Union Jack, uh, which is the UK's flag. Like instead of it, it looks like the American flag, but instead of like the place with the stars, it's the Union Jack. Mm. So it is the only like U.S. state to have a Union Jack in its flag. So why is this? I was wondering, and um, I found that there. It's not like. There did there didn't seem to be like a hard and fast reason why, but this is like the general accepted reason why. During the 18th century, King Kamehameha the Great flew a British flag over his kingdom after receiving it as a gift from King George III. By the War of 1812, it had been replaced with an American flag, and this upset the British officers in the king's court. And eventually, the American flag was removed as a compromise. Um, uh, the, the king commissioned the current flag that incorporates both nations. Hmm. So there you go. I didn't realize that Hawaii and Britain had a a thing going past. Hmm. Okay, when a foreign dignitary stays over at Blair House, which is the sister version of the White House, their national flag is flown over the premises, and that area is considered foreign soil. Nice, like you know the consulates and shit. Yeah. Okay, which U.S. state flag is the only f- state flag to feature nudity? Is it New Jersey? No. I feel like this would be a good trivia question. It is. I don't know. Virginia. Is it like Lady Liberty or something like that? That's like a... I don't know. She's naked. So I want to see some boobs. <laughs> um, Denmark's flag is the oldest flag currently in use, designed in 1219 and unchanged since then. Shit. In Denmark, it's illegal to burn foreign flags, but it's not illegal to burn the Danish flag. Ah, I'm so, looking up the Danish flag right now. Uh, uh, it's a nice flag. It's a yeah. very simple flag. Oh, yeah. It's if we'll describe it to you. It's just like red with a sideways white cross. cross. Yes. Yeah, it's nice. Simple to the point. Um, there was about a 15-year period in which the f- flag of France was just a plain white flag. Hmm. Is that during the, like, like the revolutionary, like revolutionary times? I don't know that much. Uh. But... They're basically just saying truce to everyone for 15 years, I guess. Cool. The flags of Australia and New Zealand are so similar that the Prime Minister of Australia was greeted with a flag of New Zealand on a state visit to Canada in 1984. Although Whoops. I feel like uh, Aussies and uh, Kiwis, as they call them, yeah. are pretty like laid back. So yeah. hopefully they weren't upset I by have, it. I've, I've misused uh, the um, what I thought was the Irish flag. And it turned out to be a different nation because the orange and green were swapped on the yeah. flags. And I'm like, God damn it. Well, some flags are really similar. They're only off by, like, uh, the ratio. Like, they're the same colors, the same shapes, but, like, maybe, like, the, the ratio's a little off. Yeah. Or the sizing of the shapes is a little different. So those are my flag flags. Flag flags. <laughs> and then I wanted to just end by... Uh, I have some other weird ologies, so like vexillologies. I have some other weird ologies, and I want to see if you can guess what they mean, but I will give you – first, I'll tell you the ology, and then if you can't get it, I will give you a hint of someone who may, uh, like, be into this ology. Okay. And then you can see if that narrows down for you. Let's do it. Okay. Melissopalynology. Melissopal. Melissopalynology. I don't know. Winnie the Pooh might be into this. Honey? Yes. Okay. Delti, <laughs> Deltiology. Rivers? 
No. <laughs> okay, this one I had to reach. Meryl Streep and Shirley MacLaine may be into this. Fuck. <laughs> they were in a movie called Postcards from the Edge. And Is it Postcards? The study of Postcards, yeah. Pogonology. Pogo Six. No. Oh. Hipsters boring. and hipster lovers may be into this. Beards? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, hippopathology. Hippos. Nope. No, 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 no. Medical something. Is it oaths? Um, Gayla Peavy at Christmas may be into this. Who? Gayla Peavy at Christmas. Who the heck is Gayla? Oh, actually, I guess it doesn't really. She sings a song, I Want a Hippopotamus for Christmas, but it's actually not about hippopotamus. It's the study of the diseases of horses. Ah. So hippopotamus. I want a hippopotamus for Christmas. Hippopotamus means river horse. Oh, okay. So hippo is really a horse. uh, Of the river. Yes, okay. Um, Latrine... Latrinology. Latrinology. Okay, so a latrine is where you take a shit. <laughs> is it holes? Drunk people in bathrooms might be into this. Urinals? <laughs> the study of writings on toilet walls. Okay, okay, fine. Have you ever been to the Green Mill? Yeah. I love their bathrooms. Did they actually, they might have actually painted over the walls recently. I haven't been there recently. Anyway, um, the last one is campanology. Camp. Campanol- campanology. No. Quasimodo would be into this. Bells? Yep. The ringing of bells. Cool. And that's it. I liked that. That was a good game. I hope you all had fun playing along. Chelsea lost. No, you got the honey one. I well, got, well <laughs> no. <laughs> Wait, th- you got one without me having to tell you who it was. Right? No, I don't think okay. so. Well, the hipster one I got. Yeah. Well, but, after I told the hipster. Yeah. That was fun. Yeah. Well, I love vexillologies and vexillologists. Yeah. It looks like Chelsea's going to be a vexillologist. I opened See up you a next door for time. Her. She's all about flags. This is going to be a flag podcast now. <laughs> Two girls, one flag, baby. <laughs> what would our flag look like? Um, would we have the crossword hatching, like the cross hatches? Maybe. I feel like it would be all black. Yes, like if it like was just a matte black. <laughs> yeah, a matte black, and then like, what else? Maybe like a our astrological signs, but only as stars. Oh, just star. Oh, maybe just like yeah. On one side it would be the Virgo, like yeah, sim- zodiac symbol, and on the other side would be the Aquarius. Nice. Yeah. Cool. Cool. Who well, wants to design that for us? You heard it here first. We'll pay you in love. That's all we got. That's yeah. all we got to give. Yeah. Cool. Well. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening. I'm Chelsea. I'm Grace. This is uh, Two Girls, One Crossword. Please follow us on Twitter at The Good Eve Girls. And on Instagram at The Good Evening Girls. And yeah, we'll see you next time. We'll see you next time. Bye. Bye.